Good evening. Welcome to Regeneration. We're in Luke chapter 11, and uh, we're in verse 3. If you're a visitor, don't be scared off by that. It's not typical that we just do one verse a week. So, you know, we'll quicken the clip as we uh, go along. But we're, we're taking time to look more in detail at the Lord's Prayer, because prayer is so important. And so we wanted to, to kind of take this a little bit slower and take some pieces of it word by word, like Father. We looked at the word Father, and other times we're going to look at chunks like this in one verse. But after the Lord's Prayer, it'll, it'll quicken up again. Let me pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to be here with us, to minister to us, to speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to catch up on this series or any other previous Regen sermons, you can go into iTunes. And uh, if you have trouble finding it there, you can go directly to our website and there's a link to that. So one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus responded by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. At least that's the account in Luke. And so the prayer starts with God as Father, and then it goes into recognition of of who He is, His character, His nature, His essence, that's hallowing His name. And this prayer is for those who are His children, because He addresses it as saying Father. So these are are folks who have received, by grace, through faith in Jesus, uh, God's, God's love, God's adoption into His family. And it's not this earning salvation by works, but it's through Jesus Christ. Now, for some, the Lord's Prayer has lost some power. It's lost some influence. It's lost some meaning. And maybe that's because various reasons. One of them is maybe you've lost an intimacy with God. And that it's difficult for you to acknowledge Him as Father. And maybe it's because of bad earthly father relationships or for whatever reason But that needs to be addressed within yourself to have this prayer really be meaningful to you. Maybe another reason is that you've lost reverence for who God is or what His name means. That God is to be hallowed. And so at the very beginning of the prayer, Jesus is showing us His missionary heart. In that, before any request is made, before Jesus makes any request, Jesus ensures us to to say, say these things, guys, Father, and that we have an intimate relationship with our Father. And then he also goes into an acknowledgement of who God is, so that we, in hallowing his name, recognize who God is in his character, in his nature, in his essence. And it's only possible through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that we acknowledge that we have a Father and we have an intimate relationship with Him, that we hallow His name, that we recognize who God is. And then Jesus told His disciples to pray, Your kingdom come. And so this presupposes that we are subject to Him as King and that we recognize Him as King and that his, He has reign over us. So you see the heart of evangelism in Jesus and that He's really concerned with How do you see God? Is God your father? Do you hallow his name? Do you realize that he has a kingdom and it's to come and that you are, we are subject to that reign? 
So you see the heart of evangelism for Jesus in that he's not saying like, okay, right off the bat, you guys pray this. God, I need this and I need that and I need you to do this for me and all this. It's not request. It's this acknowledgement and this relationship and this understanding of God as king. And so those are the first, this, this is the foundation that Jesus lays out before we get into anything dealing with our request to God. And so now we come to our first request. And it's in verse 3. And it says, Give us each day our daily bread. And so you notice that this is daily bread. That it's daily. Now jumping ahead to verse 4. Let's just do that for a moment. It says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now the needs within verse 4 are daily as well, aren't they? Just as they are in verse 3. These are daily. Forgiveness of sins and the guidance to lead us from temptation. These are daily needs. So in essence, what Jesus is telling us is to say in our prayer is is a confession of a complete reliance on God. That we have a complete reliance on God. And we'll take some time to break down verse 4 in the future. I just wanted to make that quick observation before moving forward. Back to verse 3. And you take a look at the word bread in our verse today. And as Christians, bread has a very significant, profound meaning to us. Right? When when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That we can deduce that the need of the word of God is a daily need. That's a daily need. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Jesus is a daily need. Right, the Word of God, Jesus, those are daily needs. And when we look at the communion elements, as far as bread is concerned, the symbolism that that bread represents in God having a broken body for us, that He died for our sins and His body was broken for us, that is a very profound, significant meaning for us. So we have all these pictures of bread and, and something that we need daily. And so I believe that we need those ideas of bread daily. I'm not dis- disputing those things. Right? We need that. We need the Word of God daily. We need Jesus daily. We need to look at God's broken body for us daily. But I don't think that our verse this evening is in reference to those things. I don't think that when... Jesus is telling us to pray, give us each day our daily bread that Jesus was talking about those things. I believe Jesus is referring to any daily need, right? Any daily provision that is a necessity of life, that that's what he's referring to. So it's different than what we desire to have, right? Needs versus desire. This is speaking to our needs, right? Our needs to survive, like iPhones. It's it's a need. And I, I have to confess to you that um, ever since I got a smartphone, I got dumber. I don't, I don't understand what the smartphone, I, I don't know why they called the, I guess it's smarter than me. So, because I, I remember prior to a smartphone that I didn't need a calendar. And I memorized everything. I would memorize all my appointments and who I'd have to meet with and all this other stuff, right? I'd memorize all this stuff. And I'd, and I'd memorize phone numbers. 
I'd memorize everybody's phone. I had a list of phone numbers, all my cousins and my friends and different people. I'd memorize all these numbers. I can't remember a single number besides mine and my wife's. That's it. So whenever they ask, oh, what's your emergency contact? And it has to be somebody outside the home. I'm like, I got to dig out my phone. I got to look at it. I got to figure it out. Like, who, who, who can I call? I don't know my, my family, who I talk to almost every day. If you take away the automatic dial thing on my phone and contacts, I have no way to get in touch with them. I don't memorize their numbers. So just the other day, I'm, um, I'm talking to a staff person about um, stuff that, you know, that we're, we've been doing. And we talked about this weekly group that he attends, which is on Mondays. And typically, that's my day off. And so I got totally thrown off because this past Monday, I happened to work and I switched my days off. So I, I switched my days off, and I, I took this day, and I was meeting with people, and I went to this fascinating lecture on immigration. And so I totally lost track of my week. I've, I don't know which day of the week it is anymore. And so I'm talking to this guy, and, and we're, we're chatting, and I think it's a particular day, but he corrects me that it's this other day, and I'm just totally confused as to what's happening. I have to look in my calendar to like figure out what's right. And I have to confess to you also that when I was... Talk, when I was putting this in my notes to, say, to tell you this story, I had to look back in my smartphone to see what day that was that I had this conversation and when, when that was. This is how bad it is. And as far as phone numbers, I'm, I'm exaggerating a bit when I'm saying I only memorize mine and my wife's because I actually memorize a few other numbers. I memorize 911 and I memorize I, I, uh, I fly SWA. That, I memorize that one. So, so I need that stuff because otherwise the only people that I'm going to talk to are my wife, uh, 911 dispatcher, and uh, Southwest customer service agent. But desires versus needs, right? Desires versus needs. And for a more biblical example of this, let's turn to Exodus 16. And in Exodus 16, we find the people of Israel, they're, they're wandering the wilderness and this wandering would last for 40 years. And part of what God was doing was, was teaching them to completely rely on Him. Or to, to totally depend and trust in God's provision for them. And to exercise absolute obedience to Him. And one of the ways that, that they were to exercise this obedience and to completely rely on God was in the form of manna. Not the Latin rock band, that's manna. Manna, okay? And so manna is is a form of food. So it's it's like, uh, it's where you get, you know, manicotti. It's where you get that. Uh, Manaroni salad, you know, cinnamon buns, all that kind of food. Manna tea, not the endangered animal, but the sipping drink that's from there. So let's read from Exodus 16. And um, I'm going to stop the bad puns like banana bread. But um, I'm going to read Exodus chapter 16, all of it. Because I think that the Word of God is powerful, and this is going to give us a better picture of the daily provisions of God. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, 
Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, coil came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost, on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall eat each taken omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning." So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. 
when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. God made it clear that he would provide what they needed daily. It was clear. And were the people of Israel obedient to that? Would they listen to God's instruction to to not hoard the provisions and and to be content with what they had daily? They they weren't. They're actually pretty good at disobeying, right? Seventh day, they're out there looking, even though he said don't. And even though they they, they said gather for the day, but on those other days they're trying to gather more. They're, They're pretty good at it. They waste no time to disobey. So he says, hey, don't lay aside anything for the next day. Moses tells the guys, and then the guys are like, hey, 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 Obadiah, come here. Can, can you hand me um, one of those uh, Chinese takeout containers? No, 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 not the one with the metal ring that ruins my microwave. Just, just the plain one. And, and I want to store some for, for later. But that's, that's not what God said. God said daily, right? Not, not for more. And when they laid manna aside on any day except for the day uh, for, for the Sabbath, it's spoiled. And so it had worms, it sunk, and, and you know, because of such a short shelf life, I'm sure it was organic. But, but we see how important observance of the Sabbath is. That's a real thing. That's for another time, though. This isn't about God coming against us who have food in our refrigerator or in our pantry or in storage somewhere. That's not what this is about. This is about trusting God to provide and being obedient to His instructions to us. Right? If your life stinks, maybe there's a likelihood that it stemmed from some disobedience to God or maybe that there's a lack of trust in God in your life. Right? And one way for you to ensure that your life will stink is that you can be disobedient to God. And if you don't believe that, try it. Try not extending forgiveness to someone and see how your life stinks. Try not being generous and just being greedy and keeping everything for yourself. Try being discontent. Your life will stink. And so you see how important it is to obey God's instructions. And you see how important trusting God is. Jesus in this prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, is helping us to focus on trusting the giver, not the gifts on trusting the provider, not the provision. And it's not to say that God is against us storing food in our fridge or our pantry or whatever. He's not against you saving, whether it's for your retirement or for other things. He's not against that. At least I don't think so. But that's not what's intended here anyway. This is about trusting God to provide and being obedient to His instructions. And it's not an excuse to neglect stewardship or to neglect responsibility for oneself and one's family. The lesson is that we have a heart that wants to act independently of God and that we have the tendency to operate within this type of rebellion. Now at Rohi, the orphanage that we support in Nakuru, Kenya, a lot of the kids there came from the streets. Most of them. And all of them get three square meals a day. All of them get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
They all get it. They never go without a meal. Yet, if you, given the opportunity, all of them probably would take food and bring it back to their bed. Because they don't have a trust. Right? That trust is not built. And it's not because Rohi has not provided food. They have. But it's because many of them haven't lived in a place where they knew where their next meal was coming from. Right? So, so this is in their mentality. And so from their past, it's understandable why they would do that. And so you see a picture of how we're like this with God. And that He continues to provide for us our daily needs, yet we're not trusting that. We've got to bring food back to our, our beds. And, and even though He's provided us. And to, to bring this on a more personal level and, and a more into, intimacy level, I'll, I'll share, you, share with you a story of me and my daughters. So, so I have three kids, and, and so say we're eating together at the dining table, and um, so we, we get to eat out once a week, and a mandate from my wife. The, so we eat out once a week, and so this past week we went to Burma Superstar. And actually, it was takeout. I brought it home. And one of my, my daughter's favorite things are coconut rice. They like their coconut rice. And so we're eating, and, and, and I noticed that my eldest daughter is putting that rice in her pockets. <laughs> and so I ask, um, honey, what, what are you guys doing putting foods in your, food, coconut rice in your pocket? What are you doing? And so my type A eldest daughter, she, she replies for the group, and she says, we might be hungry later. And so, um, all right. So then I answer her, honey, um, you and your sisters, you don't, you don't have to worry about that. Daddy, daddy will get you food. You know, when you're hungry, daddy's going to get you food. That stuff's going to spoil in your pockets. And then my type A middle daughter replies, maybe you won't. And so I, I reason with them, and, and, and so Daddy's going to provide for you, and I'll, I'll take care of your needs. And you know, I, Daddy, Daddy's feelings are hurt when, when you think that I'm not going to provide for you because that very food that you're stuffing in your pocket, I bought it. So I, I provided that. Then my type A baby replies, shaking her head because she can't say very many words, and she goes, uh-oh. So do you sense... Do you sense the hurt a father would have that, their, that his children wouldn't be provided for? You know, that, that hurt there. So, so God is hurt when we operate from a heart of believing he will not provide. Right? And, and Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, chapter 11, uh, it's written, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? See, God's not stingy and He's not just dribbling out leftovers and stuff like that, right? He's, he's not rationing out our portion. If I as a father know how to give good gifts to my kid, how much more will our Father in heaven give to those who ask Him? So He gives to us each day, our daily bread, and the issue is not provision. The issue is not the volume of food. That is not the issue. It's the fact that we don't trust Him. That's the issue going on. Right? We are to trust God for our provision every day. It doesn't mean that we can't save. 
it has to do with our rebellious heart. You know, where is our heart in the manner of, of our saving? Is it because we're worried, yeah, God's not going to provide, so we've got we to gotta store everything ourselves because he's not going to do that for us. Now back to Exodus 16 for a moment. In verses 32 through 34, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. Now you fast forward to the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, it reads... Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. The golden urn of manna, referenced in Hebrews 9, is that same omer of manna back in Exodus 16. Right? It was kept in the tabernacle to, to remind people that you know, God, your Father, has faithfully provided for you guys. And it's referencing back to Exodus 16 that for 40 years, God provided for you guys every day. Not a day, not a week, not a month, not even a year. Every day for 40 years, God provided. And so this was a reminder, and it was kept in the most holy place to remind generation upon generation that God provides for our daily needs. There it is. Take a look at it. There's that omer way back when in Exodus 16 and it's carried down to now. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Now when we, when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That stuff sounds kind of spiritual. Yeah, you Right, right? It sounds spiritual. When we pray, give us each day our daily bread. It kind of ticks down a couple notches on spirituality, doesn't it? It's like, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And, and I think that this is proven because often we, we speak of God's name in our prayers. Right? We, we, we address God as Father. We we, we, we talk to God about, about His kingdom come. How often do we pray this? Give us each day our daily bread. Because quite honestly, I haven't really heard it outside of praying the Lord's Prayer. Yet this is what the first request that Jesus is telling us to pray, to say. And it goes to show us how much God cares about our personal, basic, physical Provisions that God cares about those things. In First Peter chapter five verse seven, Peter wrote, "Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you." That He cares about this stuff, and the care and the love God has toward toward us is not just on a spiritual level. It's holistic, which includes the emotional, the physical, and so God knows our needs. And in Matthew chapter six verse eight, Jesus opens the Lord's prayer there by saying, "Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." And then at the end of that chapter, it concludes with this, starting in verse twenty-four: "No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other." 
you cannot serve God in money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." God knows what we need. He knows the difference between need and desire. And as we mature as people, we get this better understanding of our needs versus our desires, hopefully. Hopefully. Some of us better than others. But for me, as a father, I think that as I'm maturing and I'm growing, that I am able to discern between what my child really needs and what they desire. And if I can do that as an earthly father, how much more heavenly father? Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, it's written, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So you see from that proverb that Taking a vow of poverty isn't biblical. And you also see that the prosperity gospel is not biblical. It's neither. Right? We, we can fall into sin on either side of that issue, right? And because the real issue is a rebellious heart. That's the real issue. It's not how much you have or don't have. It's what's inside. It's what you already have. So God knows what we need. He knows what we need. Now there's another thing that's interesting in this. uh, Give us each day our daily bread. Do you notice that it says us? Give us? It's not me. Why is it us? Isn't that interesting? Because if we're praying, wouldn't it be like me personally? Why is it us? Because as children of God, we are brothers and sisters. Right? So... Our daily bread is ours. It's our. It's the family's, right? So, so that coconut rice that I got, if my eldest daughter took it and she just kept it for herself, when you know I actually got it for the family. It's for us to share, and some of us are pretty stingy with what God has given us. Not you, us. Yet we're responsible. For one another, and we're to share that. Some of us have been given much, and some of much less, but we're to share. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
So the prayer is give us each day our daily bread. What we're given is to be shared. We're, We're to be generous with what we're given. How many of us tithe and give offerings to exercise generosity within our community here? Really? And I'm not in a fundraising kick or anything like that. It's just a biblical principle. How many of us faithfully give our tithes and our offerings? Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. James wrote in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also have faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. We're to be generous with one another. We're to be giving. It doesn't mean that if you are of means that you can't enjoy what you have and that you have to feel guilty like, oh, i got to give all this stuff away. That's not what's being said. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19, it addresses this. Paul writes this to Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God provides to us everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So enjoy what God has blessed you with. Enjoy it and and, and share it. Generously share it. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud with what you have. Set your hope in God. God provided you with those riches to enjoy. And so with that, do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Share. And why is this done? Because in doing this, you're laying a good foundation for the future to take hold of that which is truly life. Yet how many of us are really living like this? How many of us are generous with what God has provided for us? Or are we busy hoarding things and keeping things to ourselves and not sharing what we have. Proverbs 22, verse 9, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Father, give us each day our daily bread. How how much do you really need to save and invest for yourself and your family? How much do you really need? How, How generous are you with what God has already blessed you with? Where's your heart in regards to giving? Now, just because God provides for our daily needs, it does not entitle us to be slothful and lazy in our work. Because I've heard people use that as an excuse, as not to work. Oh, God provides my daily needs and all this. Yeah, He does. He does. But that's not an excuse. Exerting effort in work is a good thing. Jesus Himself worked. Jesus worked. When you go with us to Israel next year, we're going to stop by a city called Sephoris or Zippori. And 
There is where most scholars believe that Jesus worked as a carpenter alongside his father Joseph. Jesus worked. And so Paul and the other disciples uh, of Jesus, they worked. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul wrote this in chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. you got to work. The disciples of Jesus worked hard while they were being faithful to God to provide for their daily needs. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. How much time are we spending on worthless pursuits? Stuff that don't amount to much. It is also written in Psalms chapter 127 verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. That's the other side of the spectrum. Right? You wake up early and and you just work, 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 and you work late at night and, and you don't even get to sleep. God blessed us with that too. God blessed us with rest too. So let's not get on either extreme. Right? We, we, let's not get on either extreme where you're just slothful and lazy and you're just preoccupied with other stuff. But let's not also go on the other end where we're just workaholics and we're addicted to our work. And then we don't have time for our families and we don't have time for, for, for fellowship and for doing ministry and for all this other stuff. Both sides aren't healthy. Right, so, so are we looking to our work or God who provided that work in our ability to work? And how content are we with the daily needs that God has provided to us? How, how, how content are we with that? And, and with any of the extras that he's blessed us with, what are we doing with that? What are we doing with that stuff? Give us each day our daily bread. Let's pray. God, I ask for wisdom for people within our church and our church corporately on how to be generous and how to be giving with the resources that you've blessed us with. Thank you for providing for us our daily bread. And we pray, Lord, that um, as your spirit ministers to people here, Lord, that if we've been... Uh, too far on one side or the other, whether we've been really lazy and slothful and, and, and not working to your glory, or if we've just been a workaholic and, and we don't know how to stop and we just work and we've neglected other things, God. I, I pray that you would, would bring us in and address our rebellious heart. That it's the heart that's the issue, Lord. It's not the, the volume of stuff, whether so little or so much but it's it's our heart and i ask god that you would 
work within that. That you would transform our hearts so that we would be worshipers of you, praying to you, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen.